a Geek Network interview. We have some very special guests to the, with us today. Uh, we have co-creators of the Dark Horse comic, Minor Threats, Patton Oswald and Jordan Bloom. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, fun to be back. Oh, we're super stoked, guys. Um, for, for our readers who haven't had a pleasure of reading Minor Threats yet, can you give us a, a classic elevator pitch for it? <laughs> uh, Jordan, take it. Sure, you got it. Um, so Minor Threats is about the kind of uh, blue-collared costume criminals, not the ones who are trying to take over the world or, um, you know, uh, cause chaos. It's just the guys who are looking to knock over a jewelry store, or, you know, kind of pay their alimony, the, you know, the, the jobbers. And it's what happens to them when a much bigger supervillain kills the sidekick of the, the city's greatest hero and everything kind of comes crashing down. Uh, the heroes are looking for justice, turning the whole city into a police state and the villain goes into hiding. So our kind of <laughs> losers decide that this is their one way out. They're going to uh, find the the evil villain who's gone to hiding and get the bounty on his head and hopefully end this, this chaos that has been brought on uh, to the city. That sounds awesome. I'm already um, sold. Hang on, guys. Uh, ditto. I just wanted to say ditto. Go ahead. Patton <laughs> agrees. That's yes, the story. As long as Patton's in, that's it. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Like, <laughs> if his guy, his state of approval, like we're in. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your origin story, guys. Like, how did you each get into comics, and how did you end up linking up and start working on this? Sure. I had the classic story of just growing up in the seventies and eighties where comics were just sort of everywhere, but also nowhere. They weren't the cultural juggernaut that they are now. And then in the mid eighties, when <clears throat> there was that whole kind of revival by Frank Miller, by Alan Moore, by Neil Gaiman, uh, it really blew my mind watching people take something that I had always seen as very entertaining, very fun. And then adding all these deeper human elements to it. I just thought that was fantastic. And then I was, I was hooked ever since. Um, for me, uh, my father's an immigrant, so uh, he learned to speak English through comics. So they were just there. Uh, I was reading them in the high chair uh, and was in from day one. I remember my mom saying that we went to the library and I just beelined it to the comic rack. And she's like, OK, let's get some real books, too. And I was like, and these comics. And I just scooped them all up and took them home. So uh, it's it's, uh, you know, my favorite medium. And I I loved the idea of continuity and years of of stories that I had to catch up on and learn like there was work to it in a really fun way, especially being an X-Men fan where I was like, all right, I got to figure out what the siege perilous is or all these weird <laughs> things that made no sense. And it was like, I'm going to excavate these stories because um, these characters have been around forever. So I think that to me really drew me in as, as a reader. And then yeah, 80s, 90s, you had all the toys to secret oh. wars, superpowers, uh, X-Men, you know, the, I was, it was like, you'd be buying the toys, reading the comics, watching the cartoons. It was perfect. That's awesome. And how did you two end up meeting and, and start working together? Well, we worked together on a pilot that never went. Um, kind of a, a sunnier version of Minor Threats, now that I think about it, about a working class superhero. And then in working on that, just really bonded over our, we, we just spoke the same language and then did MODOK together for um, Hulu. Mm -hmm. And just kept kept running with it. I, I had had this kind of a grain of an idea. It started as a Batman story, and then 
Jordan added all these other elements to it that took it out of the Batman world into a way better world that we then created from the ground up and we just kind of ran from there. Yeah, I think if you look back on all those projects we we did together, they're all kind of these underdogs. And um, yeah. I've always liked those characters. I think we're both drawn to those those types of characters. And, you know, the idea of these guys, they never get um, the spotlight. They're the, they're the people who Batman punches in the cold open to get information on the Joker. Or they're <laughs> the one Spider-Man webs up and leaves them as he goes off to fight Green Goblin. But I love the idea of, of like, you know, this is, this is their job. They get up in the morning, they put on their snake suit. They, you know, they plan a really low stakes heist. Uh, you know, snake and, suit. I love that. Yeah. And then go have <laughs> fear at the end of the day. And it was like, I love that reality for these, these villains. And Pat and I are also big crime, you know, uh, fiction fans. So the idea of trying to do a kind of Coen brothers noir in a superhero world. I, we hadn't seen that before. And we really wanted to kind of explore that world or see the world of superheroes and villains from the perspective of these little guys. The yeah. the blue collar villains, if you will, the, the nine to fives. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now I believe that this one was originally a, a pitch for DC, right? Well, it started off as the idea of, I always thought like, well, if the Joker escapes, whenever he escapes and Batman and the and the extended Bat family tear the city apart looking for him, that's got to be hell on the lower level people. I had the idea of, uh, it was originally going to be called J, but I wanted to do this thing called the C-list, calculator, crime doctor, copperhead, um, <clears throat> you know, people like that, all, all being, you know, wrapped up in this evening where they have to survive. Batman, you know, basically turning the city into a police state and how they get to it. And then we just thought of let's make our make our own city and our own world. And and Jordan had this brilliant thing where the background is the idea of what would a comic book city look like with 60 years of continuity just on it. When he said that phrase, it just yes, oh my God, yes, absolutely. Let's have that. <clears throat> any any disaster that hits, people always repair it as best they can, but there are always vestiges left. There's never a state of grace that gets rewound to. So to get to also play with that and make that part of the story and make that part of the character strategy was fantastic. Yeah, I feel like we talked about how like in Marvel, I guess damage control must be so good at their jobs because every new issue, <laughs> it's city's back to normal and yep. there's not a lot of lasting impressions. So we really wanted to like, we talked you know, a little bit about like, uh, post Katrina stuff like there's you know these natural disasters or in our case in this world you know these disasters from kaiju or whatever there would be little pieces of that that stay you know it, they, it, there'd be remnants so we decided to kind of really almost tell all these stories as background to our main story which was these smaller guys but the world felt lived in like it had existed for years and and props also to Scott Hepburn, our artist, who we should mention right away, is like he built this out, and it's filled with background gags and and again storylines that you'll never even hear, but they fill in the city. Like there's almost like dead husks of like man eating plants, as if there was like a poison ivy kind of story yeah, yeah. happened. But like we don't even tell that. That's just that's just background fodder. Other super villains, he created all these other characters that we sort of fell in love with like what's that guy's story who's that and they just kind of fill the bar and um it's really fun to do that kind of world building and i think the key to it again is staying focused on your story and your characters but allowing you know scott or us to come up with these ideas that kind of 
fill in the the gaps of of the history of the world. Very cool. Oh. Well, I mean, for you guys, you talk about like, like your, you reference certain comic books and certain genres of, of comic books like that when you guys were creating this world and your characters. Now, you guys managed to take the darkness of the story and you let it breathe with moments of levity. Now, was this intentional or a byproduct of the background in comedy? <clears throat> I mean, I think it's very realistic for people in stressful situations to kind of lean on comedy or making jokes ju just for their own, you know, mental survival. And and there is a lot of gallows humor within the criminal world. And so we're like, well, if these are criminals with either superpowers or, um, you know, maybe a little more than human, then their, their humor might be even more, you know, uh, up there and hysterical and weird it's just it's just always a good way into the world yeah and i think it's our tastes also blend together i think we, we've talked about influences you know we love the work of frank miller and alan moore but we also think that sometimes the wrong lessons were learned from watchmen or dark knight and, and mm -hmm. comics got too grim and gritty and they didn't celebrate the silliness or fun or big ideas that say right. like grant morrison does so we were like let's let's do both of these let's do you know, something that is about a different perspective that subverts superheroes, but also celebrates them at the same time. So I think that was important that we were never just making fun of it or completely deconstructing it in a way and saying, look how crazy this is or so this is it was uh, this is what why we love comics, you know, and, and we wanted to build a world, I think, around that. Wow. Now, also, like, in a team like this, it's bound to happen. Someone's always going to be looking for the better opportunity. In today's society, what are some of the qualities you took to create this team, and how can we relate to them? First, I think I think the big thing is, is look, you know, we wanted to ask the question, you know, what would it take for someone to put on, like we said, a snake suit or a brain helmet and a mask and go off and rot. Like what led these characters to their, the lives that they've chosen or the lives that they can't escape. And I think we were really looking for sort of the tragedy or the, the things that kind of prevented these people from escaping their neighborhood, from escaping the life they were born into and instead sort of trapped them into it. So we wanted to make them relatable in that like all these people have hopes and dreams and um, have experienced, like I said, tragedies in their past where this is, the <clears throat> you know, this is all that was presented to them. They, there's, they live in a part of the city where there aren't a lot of options and this is maybe the only way out or the only way for respect or the only way uh, that you can make money, you know, and the only opportunities available. So I think we really wanted you to get behind them and understand why they ended up in this position. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, no, very few people are criminals because, oh, I want to live this life of insane risk and very, very narrow odds for any kind of success. I want to live a life where I can, I can barely make a living, but I can maybe make a killing. That's, you know, it, that's never, that's usually necessity. And then what, to trace back where that necessity came from, and especially the delusion that characters have where they have fooled themselves into thinking, oh, no, no, I made a choice here. When if they really 
took a hard look at their lives, they never they never made a choice. They let life happen to them. That brings yeah. on some questions for me, because like I'm thinking if you could be like a blue collar villain, what role do you guys think you would go with? I know enough about myself to know that I would want to be one of those hiding in plain sight, um, either planners or fences or operators where I could have one foot in both worlds. Uh, but, you know, I, I would want to have over everything else, I would want to have the freedom of mobility between both worlds. So, you know, uh, a fence, um, uh, a consiglior, something like that. that that'd that be the kind of blue collar stuff I'd be doing. That's such an eloquent answer. Mine is give me rhino armor or something and make me, <laughs> I want to run through walls so other people can run in and get the money. And then uh... <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> Yeah, I would be right there behind you, man. I'd go get the money for you. Don't worry. <laughs> the demo guy. That's what I'll do. The yeah. guy explodes things <laughs> or breaks down walls. Uh, both of you got to work on MODOK uh, and then transitioning over to a project like this one. Was it a really big transition going from uh, a little bit more on the comedy side uh, to this project? Although it still sounds super fun. Yeah, weirdly enough, as goofy as Modoc was, we had some real kind of human emotions and human situations going on on that show. As silly as we made it, you know, it was about a marriage that was kind of crumbling and somebody that was so damaged by their ability not to grow. Now we managed to ding a lot of comedy off of that. This is a very, very serious situation that gets so serious, gets so dire that it almost then warps into comedy. And I think both those things can happen at the same time. Yeah, I think it's, we kind of, we we have a love of comedy. We have a love of, like I said, crime fiction, drama, superhero stuff. So it's really kind of taking a look at like, well, what is this project and what is it, you know, kind of asked for? What is this, what should this be? How do you tell this correctly? So obviously, you know, Modoc was much more sitcom. I almost think like the Modoc comic we did is like the, the halfway point where we were taking we were doing almost a more serious take on Modoc, but it still had humor. And then I think Minor Threats is on the other side of that, of like, no, this is, you know, this is a crime drama with comedic, you know, elements to it. But I think it's always, yeah. I think we just like to flex different muscles. So it's really fun to go, all right, we're putting on our comedy hats for this. We're telling hard jokes for Modoc here. Let's come up with the coolest set pieces and the, you know, the the best kind of action and stakes and drama for for these characters. That's awesome. I know in Modoc, you guys definitely gave them such a human touch that a lot of the episodes gave me some major feels, man. Like I'm a dad myself and watching it, like you see the relationship with your kids. And Aww. I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> but I loved that's it. Awesome. That's awesome to hear. I think that's the key to writing comedy is you kind of bring in stories about your own, you know, kids and relationships and, and marriage and all that stuff. And then, you know, you hope to kind of pull out this very relatable um, kind of uh, rope you're going to climb through the episode and then you hang, I don't know where this metaphor is going, you hang, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, crazy comedic or sci-fi things off it so that the journey up, you know, I think becomes more colorful and crazy, <laughs> but it's a very relatable way, you know, through it. And that was always the goal was like, okay, let's tell this father-son story that's very, you know, human and relatable, but we're going to do it in Asgard and there's going to be goblins and, um, you know, uh, a giant war <laughs> at the end. <laughs> two, 
you know, two people trying to relate to each other. You know, that's already really difficult for, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things that I've seen uh, now in, you know, within comic books or uh, TV shows or film is the proper balance between comedy and telling an actual story. Uh, I feel like every time I see a new film that's trying to do the comedy approach, uh, it's not it's not executed in a way where uh, we can fully connect. Yeah, it'll make us laugh or giggle or whatever the case may be, but we don't fully connect. And I think that's where the biggest thing is when it comes to storytelling. If you can tell the story properly and also uh, allow us to connect, but also give us those moments of laughter and, you know, just that comedy, I think that's, you know, that's the best way to do it. And like Jesse was saying, you know, in the Modoc show, that's, I mean, that's that was definitely one of the one of the key takeaways from that as well just thank you yeah we were we were definitely going for we wanted to kind of smuggle in a very emotional show inside a very colorful gadget and fight filled show but but nevertheless there is still real human stuff going down in it yeah i think i think the best jokes service the story as opposed to just are kind of you know tacked on and and come out of character you know and only this character in this situation would make this joke and i think that really helps when it comes to kind of uh you know not taking away from the story right and you guys 100 succeeded uh so i'm excited to see what other stories you're bringing our way uh, so i'll definitely be reading um with this project what would you say is your guys's proudest moment with bringing it to life God, so i mean there are so many pages sequences that we mapped out that then to see scott hepburn realize what we conceived execute these ideas that we tried to make them as clear as we could on the page but then to see the ideas almost get loose from us and become bigger than what we imagined was just never not thrilling and it happened a lot it happened a lot with the broken time avenue sequence with the um adventurers club sequence uh the sequence where Brain Tease is imagining himself inside the prison cell and trying to track, like, all that stuff. <clears throat> Every time I'd see the new art pages, I would just lose my mind. I'd be so happy. Yeah, it's like you give these suggestions and you get back something that's unbelievable that he's improved yeah. on and added and changed and tweaked, and you're like, this is this is what comics is, is, is seeing that kind of come to life. Is it how you pictured it, or is it more than what you pictured? Always it more. was always more than what we imagined. We would just be like, we would get the pages and then we'd be talking the next day. We're writing like, can you, he added this whole, even, even like mundane scenes that weren't necessarily massive action, but just the bar with the, um, the, the little characters sitting at different tables. There were people he would draw in, in the background that we've now developed whole backstories for and, and just stuff like that. I, it just always excites me when that happens, when your world and characters get out of your control as a writer there's nothing nothing more thrilling than that that's awesome yeah so another question from me i would say um have you guys started brainstorming on what's next for minor threats anything you guys can tease we can tease that there's more right (laughs) we can tease that there's more and that's where we will leave it right now I think Comic Con uh, in July, you'll you'll have a better understanding of of what's to come. 
Perfect. That's the best. There's no other better place to definitely announce something like that for sure. Oh yeah. It's uh it's so fun down there. Uh and it's very exciting, uh, you know, to go yeah. down and be like, we have a comic to sign and bring and, and kind of add to this this chaos and fun down there. Yeah. Awesome. I, I cannot wait. I can't wait. Oh yeah, I really want to go to the San Diego Comic Con here soon. I know we got Phoenix Fan Fusion <laughs> coming up like later this month, so we got that one. And then right after. <laughs> um what would you guys say is the biggest differences when you guys are writing for like film uh, and TV and then writing for the comic? We, it's weird. Writing comic books is very similar to TV and film in that as much as you're describing what's in each panel, what is happening, um, a lot of times you have to just end up describing things in general and then let the artist become your cinematographer and, and he or she figures out how they will stage it, how they will break it up and oftentimes they'll come up with ideas that are way better than yours and and you've got to be i think humble enough to go ah that's actually a better way to tell that 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 action yeah it's you know? so collaborative that i think it pays to stay a little looser you know i think with with tv and stuff i'm I, you know for me and and pat i think we're heavy outliners and very detailed yes. i think there's, we let we we know you know the story we're going to tell in every issue for the comic, but I think we leave moments up, you know, um, or we set pages aside that can just be for discovery and fun, and and it comes together I think in a really fun organic way because we're also pinging these off of Scott who's pitching ideas and how to you know and we want to write towards him and so it's it's um it's it's weirdly a little looser but in a, in the best way. As comic book fans, does it like blow your mind when you see your name on a comic that you wrote? I mean, every time uh, I've ever done a comic and there's my name on the cover next to the art, it always blows me away. It always makes me happy. Yeah, nothing's better than going in on a Wednesday. Just there's being hold it, pick it off the shelf. and It's the <laughs> <laughs> dream. Filling my, my comic rack. That's the goal. So right enough to fill this whole rack yeah. behind me um so uh that's uh that's been fun to be able to put a few of those in there <clears throat> big shout out to golden apple comics i know uh that's oh. one of our favorites Love yeah it, they've been great supporters we've done some fun events there and um you know it's kind of our our hometown uh shop of and where we like to host stuff super cool man ah i'm so excited i need to go visit i'm gonna I'm going to make a trip here soon. So you guys aren't too Pilgrimage. Yeah. There's lots of good stores. We've, we've been very lucky. Oh my God. Yeah. To sign up a bunch and um, each one, you know, has their own identity and, and selection. And, you know, it's a, it's a good city to be a comic fan in Los Angeles. Yes, it is. It, indeed it is. Bet. All right. We'll make a plan. I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, all right. So on to my next question before I get carried away and take a trip right now. Uh, we've all seen some gruesome deaths when it comes to comic book history. Uh, what would you say is the most brutal death uh, in a book that you've seen or in one of your books? Well, I feel like we're, we we know Scott's very good at drawing that. So we've yeah. kind of started a game of throwing uh, horrible deaths at him to draw. Because <laughs> uh, I remember like in in the Modoc comic we did, he split, Modoc got split in half by Gwenpool and you could see like inside his brain and skull and 
you know, yeah. uh, there's the slam or the um, where he's, uh, in minor threats where he slams uh, the pig and the eyeballs shooting oh, yeah. it. Um, so we, I, there are some pages Scott has drawn that the world hasn't seen that might be the most messed up stuff we've ever asked him to draw. So I think wait and see, uh, it's coming, uh, would be, would be my answer. All right. So, uh, we have a fan that would like to know, uh, what debate you two have in comics that you both will not get off your high hill on. Oh. Debate with each other or debate we had with other people? Let's say both. Okay. I mean, there are certain... Um, Jordan has a lot more patience and affection for stuff that I can get kind of wound up about. I remember I went and reread all of the Giffen uh, and Dematis run on Justice League, which... I remember reading it in the 80s and 90s and really loving it and going, oh, this is so funny. And then you read it again. It's like, oh, God, this humor did not age well. It's so – and it was almost like he he was able to retain his – the the feeling he got when he read it and can still enjoy it. And with me, I'm like – but I'm, I'm much – like I can't go back to that feeling. He, he's so much better at – retaining feelings and being more empathetic towards other people's views of things where I'm just like, it sucks and I hate it. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> you and I disagree on the Punisher. Cause I like the, uh, we're talking about the Jason Aaron one and you have a very clear version of what you want the Punisher to be. And I'm like, yeah, he could, he's like Batman. You can, he's flexible. So I feel like we've, we've had like Punisher takes that don't align. Which yeah. Is whenever they, what, I, I especially am very much about don't introduce supernatural elements to the Punisher. That always pisses me off. And yeah. Jordan's like, well, why not? Let's and I'm see like, what happens? Yeah, Frankencastle. Let's do this. He's a Frankenstein <laughs> now. I'm in. Crazy. Uh, so I feel like that's that's been one. My my big one is, I mean, my it, this is not a disagreement, Pat and I have, but my hill to die on is I am a Superman purist. In that, I think like every Superman story needs to be hopeful, and that uh, he is the most relevant character that there's nothing old or dated about the character that uh, he, to me now more than ever is the most important superhero that we need. Mm. Uh, so I, um, I really get kind of set off by the like, ah, Superman's lame. Oh, he's too powerful. Oh, he's boring. Oh, he's, you know, he's too old school. Uh, Superman rocks is my, my hard stance. Yeah. My, <laughs> what a hot take. I like the character Superman, but uh, yeah, I get, I get really defensive of Superman. Yeah. And I know that it's very, very convenient and fashionable right now <clears throat> um, when it's done well, like in um, Into the Spider-Verse. But man, the the multiverse trope is getting misused so badly and so clumsily um, that it should be used sparingly. And now it's that's all everything is. And it's driving me insane. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> Um, now, do do either of one of you have uh, comic memorabilia that you're super proud of owning? I mean, I have some certain books that I've had like signed that mean a lot to me. That I have the hardback of um, Season of Mist that are, was signed by pretty much everyone that contributed to it. But that's one of my most prized possessions. But I'm not really a collector. I, I when I read something, I want to give it to someone else to read. I don't like 
have shelves of things that I'm rubbing my hands together over. I like the actual content and the and the depth of it rather than just the ownership. I put together a whole run of X-Men except for the first issue. Uh, so that one, I'm it's just my favorite comic and to have be able, I can sit down one day. My kids will never want me to do this, but like I can read <laughs> X-Men from the beginning to now, you know, and as one long story was kind of exciting. Um, oh, I bought uh, our, the McGuire cover for Minor Threats. I don't know if you can see it back there. That was for issue four um, or three. Three. It was for issue three. And um, he's one of my favorite artists talking about JLI. Um, so when we were able to get him to do a cover, I, that Superman was one I had Gordon. to have. And you bought one too. I know we're about to get the new iteration of Superman from James Gunn. What are your hopes that we're going to get out of that new Superman? I mean, my hopes, I just saw Guardians 3 and like, I hope it's the same amount of heart that all of his projects have. I think it's in great hands and, yeah, um, you know, he's such a comic fan and has such a love of the material. I mean, he, he posted reading All-Star Superman, which to me is one of the best Superman stories of all time. So he's pulling from the right things. And, uh, you know, my hope is that, um, you know, he becomes just as exciting to a younger generation as he is to me, you know, my kids are all about Venom and Deadpool and uh, <laughs> like those characters. And it's like, it would be, you know, it would be awesome for them to be just as excited about Superman. He did. Yeah, he did it. He, and he's, although the, what's going to be interesting is he is right now, his wheelhouse and he is friggin' brilliant at it is taking these kind of D list side characters, guardian suicide squad, peacemaker and building a real world it's going to be fascinating to see what he does with an a-lister and if he brings like a c-list underdog mentality to it i mean i don't know maybe he'll i i i feel like he is limitless in what he's able to do you know it'd be cool to see him elevate like a jimmy olsen or something like that where like jimmy yes. becomes so popular jimmy gets his yeah. own movie. jimmy or or <laughs> like even the most obscure side characters like bibbo yeah, and, you know, like people like that. That that would be fascinating. I mean, he's got the biggest playhouse ever with infinite characters where he can build. I mean, one of the best universes ever. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, let's see what yeah. happens. From the best toys. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have a question for you though, Patton. Okay. You were able to dip your feet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe recently as Pip the Troll. Mm-hmm. Will uh, we ever get to see you reprise your role? I have no idea, and if I if if that happens, I'll be the last to know. <laughs> I'll be the last to know. They'll they'll let me know last, and I'm I'm waiting. I would love to do it. Are you kidding? Pip is one of those great, weird side characters where the super science is bumping up against sword and sorcery, and and yes, do it. Let's do it. I mean, Patton's being very modest. Obviously, Pip is coming back in Secret Wars and <laughs> build a Beyonder with the Infinity Gauntlet and get together with Gamora and you know, uh, and then he starts the X Men. Right? That's that's what's planned. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, I gotta. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna play my cards very quietly right now. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend to be your publicist and make up. Voice <laughs> I was like, no way. And just everybody, I remember being in the theater and even my uh, my friend that went to go see the movie were like, no way, they're actually bringing this character. And then we just, you know, being able to see what's going to probably come back, come in the future. So that's what, it makes me hopeful to see some of these characters that you've never thought you would see in the MCU, you know, 
come back. So wild that who's who's made it to the screen that you yeah. never thought. And, and people that have made it to the screen that you like, again, the fact that the Guardians are major players in not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in cinema is amazing. Yeah. They have multiple rides all over the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. Disney. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Looks like we got one last fan question. Uh, looks like it's for Patton. Uh, should oh. we consider Ratatouille to be a mech uh, anime? <laughs> no uh no please god please let's not let's let ratatouille be ratatouille brad bird made a perfect film let's leave it as it is you don't think like the term flesh mech as a flesh mech (laughs) oh my god is he a flesh mech i mean maybe oh i don't want to i i i don't want to play semantics with remy (laughs) sacred beautiful film let's leave yes poor guy Blesh mech. Oh dear God. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like it's close at this point now that we're thinking about it. <laughs> is it a body horror film? Hmm. What does Cronenberg's <laughs> ratatouille look like? He yeah, oh go- God. <laughs> the rat like starts growing into his scalp. Yeah. We and then he, and like, like Rundlefly. Yeah, and he starts just transforming into the rat. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> that's that's gonna be a fun image for later. <laughs> Holy moly. Well, thank you, fans, uh, for those great questions. Uh, But thank you guys again so much. Uh, We love your work. We're so excited to read it uh, and can't wait to see what other projects you guys have in the future. You guys have us as fans and we'll forever be with you guys. Thanks for being a fan. And I really hope we can keep uh, slinging really cool stuff at you guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us on this show. And everyone check out Minor Threats. Uh, The first trade comes out... uh... July or sorry, June twenty first, uh, yep. Wednesday, and um, Wednesday, June twenty first. Got some cool signings that we'll be able to announce soon if you're in yeah. uh, certain cities. And mm-hmm. stay tuned. Where can we catch those announcements? Are you follow my Twitter, my Instagram, Jordan's Twitter, Jordan's Instagram, Dark Horse? It'll it'll get announced everywhere. All awesome. right. Thank you guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Oh, 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 o